0: If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know who, the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have been, and yet they have both hated me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. You may be seated. Every preacher in the world wishes they had Zach's voice. (laughs) Thank you for reading that, my friend. That was awesome. Hey, before we jump into the sermon today, uh, two things. One is I want to introduce you to Mike Walker. If you've been around Crossroads for very long, you know Mike. Uh, He's been uh, part of, I make like 15 small groups and uh, serving in different capacities and just been a part of our church family for him and Killian for a long time. And uh, after much prayer and discerning and listening uh, we want to present Mike to you as the next elder at Crossroads Church. And uh, what we do, we believe in confirmation from the, from the body, and so our elders are presenting him to you today. And uh, if, there's, if for any reason you feel like Mike isn't worthy to, to serve in that capacity, you should come see me or one of the elders in the next two weeks. Otherwise, we will uh, be ordaining Mike as our next elder in a couple of weeks. So Mike, excited about serving with you. Praise God. And uh, would not you give him a hand and for God leading us to Thank you, my friend. Love you, brother. Also, just want to mention, if you're new with us or if you're a regular, pull out your connection card. And at some point in the service, if you'll fill this out and then drop it in the offering baskets as they go around at the end. If you're a first-time guest, we'd love to meet you in person. We'll have some folks at the Next Step table after the service. They'll have a gift and a, some information for you. About crossroads. So uh, either way, you want to uh, react and respond to the message that way, and use your connect card. We'd appreciate it. So hey, thanks for being here. So glad that you're a part of worshiping with us today. Um, to start our message, uh, I just was thinking about certain lessons that we teach our kids over the years, and so you can help me out with this. Uh, early on, you have to teach them don't touch the hot stove. That's right. I was. I thought that one could have gone in a lot of different ways. <laughs> don't touch the hot stove. Or don't stick your finger in the lights, in the socket. Yeah, the electric socket. No, don't do that. Or don't mess with the dog when it's eating. He might eat you. Don't do that. Yeah, so we teach them that because we want them to avoid pain and problems and and issues. Now, some of you intentionally do those things to your kid on purpose to teach them the hard way. And if that's you, we have some representatives from DFACS here today. If you'll just raise your hand, they'd like to talk with you for a minute. Now, most of the time, our natural instinct is to avoid pain and avoid problems. That's normal. That's why I admire so much the people that serve us in in emergency response and when they they put themselves in situations to protect us and even put themselves in harm's way in order to, to serve us and to serve our community. Guys, you know what we're going to talk about today in this series, Why Me, God? We're going to talk about intentionally putting ourselves in harm's way for the glory of God. In fact, that's what Zach just read about a few minutes ago. Jesus said this. I'm going to read just part of what he read. He said this, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Now, you know, little Bible promise books that you can buy? I'm pretty sure this promise, you don't find it in little cute promise books. But Jesus promised, hey, they've persecuted me, and I promise you they're going to persecute you also. Hey, little boys and girls, look at this awesome promise of Jesus. People are going to attack us because of our faith. In fact, that's what persecution is. And sometimes when we cry out, why me, God? It's because of persecution. And persecution, just so we're clear, persecution is when people attack you and I because of our faith. Because of our faith. It's not God doing something against you. It's not uh, the effects of original sin and we blame Adam and Eve for messing up our sin nature and changing us. No, it's other people choosing to do harm to you and I because we choose to follow Christ. Now, when a follower of Jesus begins to act like Jesus, and when a follower of Jesus begins to talk about Jesus, they can expect some forms of persecution they can expect people to not like it they can expect people to try to hush it they can even expect as jesus said here for people to attack it and resent it and what they resent you got to understand what they resent is the gospel the good news of jesus who he is and what he represents they they, they they resent the message and they resent honestly the messenger at times and here's what i mean when you and I are growing in godliness and we're following Jesus and we make mistakes, but we're learning and we're growing and we're becoming more like him, that sticks out. And when people that don't have that, even though they in down, deep down they would want to be more holy and more godly and more loving and more kind, and they don't have that, and t- quite honestly, they can't have that, they resent in other people who have that. And so they despise the messenger. It made me think of um, Alabama football. Anybody a crimson tie? Okay, good. I'm going to save ground. We can all agree that we hate Alabama football then. (laughs) Can we not all agree that we hate Alabama? Now, think about this, though. This pains me to say it, but we hate Alabama football because they have what we wish we had. (laughs) Don't stone me. (laughs) It's true. It's because they're so darn good. You know why they hate us? It's sometimes because our lives are so good. They resent that. I'd also say Nick Saban's a pretty mean cuss, and I don't like him either, but that's beside the point. They also are offended by our message, and our message is very simple repent and believe. That's the gospel message. And that is offensive to people in the world. That doesn't sit well with them. That rubs them the wrong way. Because what our message is saying is basically this. Repent says there is something innately and inherently wrong with you. There's something wrong with me. We are broken and busted. And we are unable to fix it on our own. And we have this thing called sin that is wrecking our lives. That's not a popular message. And then the belief part says there is only one singular solution to the brokenness and the sin in our lives. And that solution is Jesus Christ. And that's offensive because it's narrow. And so they take offense at our message. The idea of the gospel being offensive is all over in Paul's writings and his letters in the New Testament. It's offensive for people to think what, what the Bible teaches, that there is a God who has the right to judge humanity. He is a sovereign judge and he has the right to say this is wrong. That his wrath would be coming is offensive. And listen to this, it's offensive to the world to say the wisdom of the world, the brightest minds, the greatest inventions, the highest philosophies, God says they are foolishness to him. They're foolishness and that's offensive. Our message is Can be offensive. Now, what I'm not saying is that we need to be offensive. Can I get an amen right there? We don't have to be obnoxious. We don't have to be nutty and goofy and overly uh, overt. But we do need to be willing to take risks for the gospel. When Jesus said, They hated me. They're going to hate you because they hated me. He meant that for us, for you and I. Although I, I have to admit, I think in, in our world, it's, 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 in, in our little circle, it, it's a lot less. So I want to take you back to, to other places and other times for just a few minutes to understand what persecution really looks like. Let's go back to February of 1933. And it was just two days after Hitler rose to power in Germany. And there was a young pastor there, a 26-year-old pastor. That's young. And he stood up. He had warned against the evils of Nazism, and he had declared that it was wrong. And when they rose into power, he didn't stop his message. In fact, two days after they rose to power, he's on the radio warning of the evils of Nazism. This young pastor's name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer, in the middle of this radio lecture, the Nazis cut off the feet and it went black. Didn't, he didn't, wasn't deterred. A few days later, he's in Berlin at a technical college, proclaiming the same message, this Christ-centered message that that this this regime was not God-honoring. It was the beginning of a life dedicated to courageously speaking out against the evils and proclaiming the truth of Christ. In fact, his commitment to share the message of Jesus Christ, his commitment to that, his lifelong commitment, caused him to be fired, imprisoned, and executed for standing up for Christ. That still happens today, guys, in Iran, in China, in other places around the world. This is happening. I read this in Christianity Today not too long ago about a pastor in Iran, and uh, they called him Pastor H for his his protection, but but it turned out to not help because there's what happened. He had been missing for two weeks, this pastor. And the church leaders were still going on. In fact, they were having a church service and lining the aisles. We had a baptism today, and we celebrate that. But there was a baptism they were going to have of 38 former Muslims that were turning to Jesus Christ for salvation and getting ready to stand for their faith for him. And baptism is a big deal. I don't care where you are. It's a life-changing moment in someone's life, and we celebrate that here. But in Iran, it's not only that. It's also possibly a death sentence. And during that service, they got a phone call, one of the leaders, and they said, I have some news. He said, our, our pastor's gone. They killed him. And then he looked at all the people ready to be baptized, and he said, and that is quite possibly the cost that you'll have to pay to follow Jesus. Are you still ready to follow him in baptism? And all 38 were baptized. It shouldn't be a surprise when Jesus said, You will be persecuted. If they hate you, me, they're gonna hate you. And yet, let's just be honest, in this bubble of, of American Christianity, we're lulled into sleep. We're a Christian nation. We're founded on Christian ideals, and we're free to worship or not worship and go where we want to go and do what we want to do. And so our freedom's guaranteed, and we don't have to die for what we believe. At least not now. Not yet. Um, one of our members, he's in the room today, he, he was talking about they went to Savannah for a little trip, and they were like, in, in the evening, there was some nightlife going on, and they're in this little tour group, and they're going around to different places, and the tour guide said, man, I'm so glad we don't have any of those stuffy Christians in our group. Man, they're such a drag, and they always bring the group down, and it's no fun when they're in there. And he's like, Ooh. And the group started chanting, "No Christians! No Christians! No Christians!" Guys, persecution is happening, and here's this is what's wrecking me. This has wrecked me for two weeks, guys. If we're not willing to face a little bit of persecution now, then our next generation, our kids and your kids, uh, your grandkids and my grandkids, are have to face it tenfold. We don't want to touch the stove. But we might be asking them to touch the stove. <clears throat> so here's my first point. We should live lives worthy of being persecuted. We should live lives worthy of being persecuted look at what jesus said here. he said blessed blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me Jesus said, a blessed life is not a life void of problems, and the blessed life is not getting everything you want. That the hashtag blessed life is a life that may require persecution. That we should live like rebels. Not without a cause, but with a cause. This is way better than a Minnie Mouse ears. All I'm saying. We should live a little bit like Jesus rebels. We have a cause. We have the greatest cause that there ever is. And we ought to live like rebels for him. Jesus said a blessed life is a life that's lived so radically for Jesus Christ that people react to it positively or negatively, but they react to it. You with me? We're not benign in our lives. We don't go through life not affecting others. But the the real blessed life is one lives so radically for Jesus Christ. People can't stay lukewarm about your life. And they take signs. Now, what I'm not saying is be obnoxious. I've said this already once. I'm saying it again. What I'm not saying is just annoy people. (laughs) In fact, I think it's really important to understand what Jesus says about sharing our faith and being a light for him in the context of all the scripture. I'm going to challenge you if you don't have something to read this week, read Luke chapter 15 and Luke, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter f- 15 tells you the heart of God for sharing the good news. And Luke chapter 16 shows us the shrewdness, the, 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 the wisdom and how we should go about it. We should do it wisely. But, We're to do it. We're to be bold. What I am saying is we ought to be people who take risks for Jesus Christ. We might be willing to risk our reputation, risk offending people, risk getting into trouble with the boss or with the corporation to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, I've talked to so many people over the years that are afraid to share their faith in in, in two places specifically, in school and in their work environment. They're scared to share their faith there. Can I tell you something? I I think if if you lost your job because you were bold for Jesus Christ and you had to go find another job, your your heavenly Father, Jesus himself would be saying, well done, you're blessed, you did it, you stood stood up for me. He's like, yeah, what do you know about that preacher, man? (laughs) It's pretty easy to speak about my faith in my work environment. Some of you may know, before I was a pastor, I worked in the corporate world. I was an engineer for six years. And in that time, God gave me opportunities to stick my neck out for him. And uh, the first one I remember, I had only been on the job about a month. And they called me in for a bonus, and I didn't expect one, but they did anyway. And my two bosses are sitting in the room, and I had a little pin on my lapel, and it was about a way to strike up a conversation for Jesus. And one of the guys said, hey, what's that? What does that mean? And I'm like, here I go. I mean, I just got married, and I'm about to lose my job. And this is tragic. And I barely got stuff out. And can I tell you something? God used that, and one of my bosses witnessed to the other boss, because I wore a pin. There was a guy that started to come to work there, and his name was Mark. And Mark was sort of a, a social misfit, and people picked on him, and they talked down to him, and they talked bad about him. And I began to befriend Mark, and I got picked on a little bit for trying to befriend Mark. But I I got a chance to share the good news with Jesus with him. We'd go to lunch together, and I'd get made fun of for going to lunch with Mark. But he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Another intern named Ian, he started coming, and I went through the Gospel of John with him on our lunch break. By the way, if you're at work and you're afraid about sharing your faith at work, go to lunch with somebody. They can't tell you what to do on your lunch break. Somebody give me an amen on that. Okay. And Ian and I walked through the Gospel of John together, and he said, man, I'm in college. I'm having a lot of fun. I go to a lot of parties. Thanks for the info. Not now. So fair enough, but there's, this is the most important decision you can ever make. I got an email several years later said, if this is the rod who used to work at Barrett Woodard & Associates, I'm ready. And he drove down an, an hour and a half so that I could lead him to faith in Jesus Christ years later. He's now a deacon at his church, serving God faithfully, raising his family for the glory of God. It was worth sticking my neck out for Ian. The one that kills me is I had a... A good buddy. We'd get, we were always teamed up on the same jobs, and we would drive for hours together, and I would try to share my faith with Glenn, and Glenn was just one of the coolest guys I'd ever met. And I it never sunk in that I know. I don't know that he knows Christ, and I tried, and I tried, and then I felt, man, he doesn't want to hear it anymore. But can I tell you something? It was worth sticking my neck out that Glenn at least heard the gospel, and maybe someday he'll come to faith in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you to take a stand? To be bold. Take a risk for Jesus Christ. You won't regret doing that. Even if you lose a friendship, it's worth doing. Even if you lose your job, it's worth doing. Even if you lose something in your reputation, you have conflict, you're ridiculed, and you're accused of not being tolerant, it's worth taking the risk. I want to brag on Miss Dell. Stories, Mom, Miss Dell. She said she drives around in her car, she has little packets made, little care packets. And if she sees somebody in need, she has these little packets in her car, she can go and hand them. Isn't that isn't that genius? She's ready. And one of those times she saw a homeless man begging for, for money. And so she got out of her car and she started walking towards him with this with this little packet. And she gave him the packet and she tried to talk to her about her faith. And he said this, get away from me, Jezebel. I don't want anything to do with you or your church. That's persecution. That that would shock me, like I'm sure it shocked her. You know what she said? Jesus loves you. And she walked away. Great will be her reward for being willing to be persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. Guys, we are we need to be bold, not shy, not timid not worried about what other people think. Bold for Jesus Christ. Man, we, we get bold in our careers, and man, we, we climb the ladder. We're bold in sales, and we, we don't take no for an answer. We get bold in our careers. We get bold in our, in our school. We get bold in all these different areas of our life. You, you know who's really bold is, is the grammar police. <laughs> Those are some bold people. I call them grammar Nazis. They will interrupt your sentence to to correct your grammar mid-thought. They ain't scared. And I say they ain't scared of stuff like that all the time, so I get corrected a lot. um, (laughs) And I think, man, if that boldness was channeled into the most important thing, we have a faith worthy of taking risks for. We have a faith worthy of living for. We have a faith, listen to me, worthy to die for. We do. We do. Live to be persecuted. Guys, this, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Can I just be transparent? I'm preaching this, and I'm mad at myself that I don't live this way. Let's live to be persecuted together. Secondly, let's embrace being persecuted this is about our attitude. The first was about our actions. This is about our attitude. We should embrace it. If we're living lives that we face persecution and someone says something nasty to us, or we get passed over for promotion. Man, we embrace it and we thank God that we would be found worthy of persecution. Can I tell you that persecution is a test that so many of us fail in our Christian experience? Jesus in the parable of the sower, I'm going to teach on this as a whole sermon in a few weeks, but in the parable of the sower, there's four different types of soil, which represent four different types of people and how they respond to God's message. Well, I won't get into all, but the third soil is the soil I want to talk about. And it says this, Jesus said, a seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. Listen to this. When trouble, like a why me God moment, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, because of their faith, they quickly fall away. You seen this? Is this your experience? You received Christ and it was exciting and you started growing and things were rocking along and you loved your new life in Jesus and then something bad happened and it derailed your spiritual walk or someone started picking on you about your faith and called you a Jesus freak or said, you know, you're a goody two-shoes and so, man, you just stopped growing. You stopped doing your thing. You had a, a professor in college who said you have to be a moron or an idiot to believe this stuff about Christianity and you questioned the whole thing and you checked out. what Jesus describes they have no root they last a short time and they wither and die in their faith Jesus wants you to take persecution but not just to take it but to embrace it embrace it not woe is me but blessed is me not woe is me, blessed is me. Look at what Paul said. This guys, I'm still, I'm not here yet. But look what Paul said, man. He said, um, Philippians three. I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. Doesn't that sound good, man? I want to know Jesus. I want to grow closer to Him. I want to know His resurrection power in my life. Every single one of us I go, yeah, that sounds awesome. Power to overcome sin. Power to live a godly life. Power to have joy in my life. Yes, we all want that. But look, then he says this. I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. and participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's a whole different statement, isn't it? Man, I want to follow Jesus so much. This is what Paul said. I so badly want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I so badly want to be like him in my life that I'm not going to only embrace the good stuff of following Jesus. I'm going to embrace the persecution that comes with following Jesus. and to rejoice in it. If you're facing this, I believe some of us are. If you're facing persecution right now, a family member, a coworker, someone at school, man, can you just, can you just take a little moment right now and rejoice and say, God, thank you for counting me worthy of being suffering for your name. He's storing up treasure for you in heaven right now as you endure that. And so he says, look, don't just get through it. Embrace it and rejoice that I've counted you worthy of my sufferings. Lastly, lastly, we need to pray for those who persecute us. Look what Jesus said. I've heard, you've heard that it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's how we normally live. Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He said, you need to pray for them. And, man, I know how we want to pray. It's God, get them prayers. <laughs> when someone's picking, God, you get them. You show them. You bring them low. You humble them. You mess them up. You take stuff away. You wreck them. God, get them prayers. He says, no, pray God help them prayers. God, help them to see the glory of who you are. God, help them to see how awesome and loving and kind you really are. God, help them to see the beauty of the gospel and that Jesus would die on their behalf. God, help them, help them, help them. Guys, we pray that because these are people that need a relationship with Jesus Christ. If someone is persecuting you, they are responding to Jesus, not you. And they need to open their hearts up to the living God and let him in. You know, right, the passage right before that passage, when he says, pray for those who persecute you, it's that one that we all know about, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. I don't like that passage. How about you? It doesn't mean you don't defend yourself or your family. It doesn't mean that. It it means when persecution comes, it's in the context of persecution. When people want to lay hands on you because of your faith, you let them. If someone walked in here from the government and said, hey, you no longer can preach the gospel, and they come and they grab me, God help me, I wouldn't resist. That's what Jesus said. I'm not supposed to resist. Because this battle isn't won by force. When the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light rage against each other, one uses force and the other one uses love and love always wins. We're called to love people that don't love us. We're called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and and that is gonna flip their lids. We won't know how to deal with that and God will use it for his kingdom and his glory. So I'm going to challenge you. Some of you have been not along with me. You're fired up. You're like, yeah, I'm going to go look out one Taco Bell. (laughs) Because they're going to get it both barrels. (laughs) That's good. That's okay. My challenge, go to the toughest nut you know. I mean, if your heart's stirred right now, go to the toughest nut you know and love them. And if they'll let you share the gospel with them. Some of you need to go to the toughest place where you feel most persecuted, you feel most repressed, and you need to go into that environment and and live for Jesus and speak up for Jesus. That's my challenge to you today, church, is live lives worthy of persecution. Stand up for the gospel and even to be willing to be persecuted.